All right, well, if you can bring your conversations to a close, take out your Bible and your journal, and if you will meet me in the book of Hebrews, we're going to continue our series. This is week five going through the book of Hebrews. We're going to be going through it for nine weeks, so we have this week plus four more. Why are we doing this? Because we all know that life can be hard, and when we face life's lows, life's letdowns, and life's losses, we need to be able to find resilience to keep going. And the book of Hebrews has been a, something that God has used in the lives of believers, in the lives of his people, in the lives of followers of Jesus for generations to help birth resilience in the face of trial and temptation, that we might have the strength that we need, the spiritual strength to stay faithful to Jesus in the midst of life's trials and temptations. How many of you know that we are in need of resilience in this season? Yes. And so we're going through this book. We're trying to learn God's strategies to build resilience in his people. We're believing, not just learning them, grasping some concepts, but as we go through them, that the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, is going to infuse us with fresh reservoirs, fresh resources, so that we might have the resilience we need for the trials and temptations that we face. So far, we've seen that God's strategy for developing resilience in his people is that he develops resilience in us when we see and pay attention to Jesus. When we keep our eyes on Jesus, it builds resilience in our hearts, in our spirits. We've seen that we develop resilience when we receive Jesus' help. Like, stop for just a minute and, and get this. Jesus wants to help you in the trial that you are in, in the temptation that you are facing. He's not standing off distance seeing this is a test. We'll see if you get through it. No, no, no. He's wanting to help you. I come back to that over and over and over again, and it continues to be a blow away that Jesus, you want to help me. And I can see so many ways that he's helped us in our trials and temptations. We develop resilience through the giving and receiving of encouragement. When we, as the body of Christ, when we encourage one another, when we receive encouragement, the Holy Spirit is building muscles inside of us that we might be a resilient people. And we develop resilience through rest. When we receive the Lord's rest, it gives us new strength. Awesome. Today, what we're going to see is another way, another tool, another strategy of the Lord to help his people develop spiritual strength, develop resilience, and it's this. We develop resilience through training. We develop resilience through training. Now, I'll say, I came ready to preach today. I am excited about this message. We did just send out a church plant, so there's some people, familiar faces that are now planting over there, and we're so excited about it but I want to preach with you. So I want you to preach back at me. I want you to get your Bible open, your heart open, your, your notes open. We're going to meet with God. God has something to speak to us today to help us develop resilience. Amen. There you go. When we start talking about developing resilience through training, my mind goes to the Navy SEALs. Since I was a kid, I've kind of been fascinated with the Navy SEALs and, and particularly their training. Their training is legendary. In fact, I Googled Navy SEAL training program uh, and there are 22 million results that Google brought up 
of people talking about the way the Navy SEALs trained. I find that fascinating. What, do you, what, what is kind of the origin of their uh, obsession with training? Well, they were first developed, they first kind of started in, the war, in World War II, and they were formally established by President JFK, and they were a special ops unit that could go by sea or by air or by land. That's right, SEALs is not about the animal, it's the acronym. They could do, go in any of those environments, in any situation, on the most complex missions the U.S. military would face, and they would go in and they would be the special ops forces. The stories of their missions uh, have been the subject of bestsellers, of books, of movies, of TV shows. Their, Their missions are legendary, and their training for their missions is legendary. And I think the connection is so important. Why are they so committed to training to help them in their missions. Here's what they found, and this is one worth writing down. Under pressure, they found that you don't rise to the occasion, but you fall to the level of your training. Under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to the level of your training. What do they mean by that? Well, everybody, when they're thinking about the mission, they have an idea of how it's gonna go and what they're gonna do and how they're gonna respond, but when things break down, When you get in danger, when things get chaotic, when there's pressures that come at you, they say you don't live up to your hopes, your ideas of how it's going to work, right? When when life comes at you and life can come at you fast, where they say you fall to the level of your training, meaning you kick in a default mode and how have you trained? That is how the mission is going to go. So they invest an incredible amount in training out of that belief that under pressure, we don't rise to the occasion that we fall to the level of their train, our training. I think this is a good illustration why training can be so powerful. The way we train empowers us to be resilient in the midst of pressure through the training that becomes default because we built up those muscles. And it's this subject of training that the author of Hebrews begins to speak to God's people about in Hebrews chapter five. And that's where I want you to turn in your Bibles today. And here he teaches us that training is not just important for the Navy SEALs. Training is not just important for elite athletes, but training is important for the people of God. Training is important for disciples. And that it's through training that we develop resilience, not for some military mission, but for the spiritual calling that we have, we develop spiritual strength. Hebrews chapter five. Now he begins to speak about Jesus being a high priest. And this is going to be the subject of the next couple chapters of Hebrews. But as he starts to talk about that, he breaks off into a tangent. Any parents in the room, you're ever talking with your Children, you're, you're speaking to them and you can tell that they're not quite engaging with what you're saying. And so you turn from what you're saying and you lean into what you're talking about. Or kids, you might feel like you're talking and your parents kind of zone out and you're trying to get their attention. He's doing that. He's trying to get their attention. He's stopping. And here's what he says. He says, we have much to say about this. Hebrews 5 verse 11. We have much to say about this, meaning about Jesus and this high priestly ministry, but It is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. That's right. He's coming in hot this morning. In fact, 
Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again, meaning they have been following Jesus for some time. They had had much learning. By this point, they should be teachers. They're saying, actually, you got to go back to kindergarten. You need to know the ABCs again of the Christian faith. Anybody ever relate to feeling like you should be further along in your faith? And you're like, why do I need to learn this again? But I realize I do, right? He's observing that in them, that feeling of you're not where you need to be. He said, you need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. So he's saying, by this time, you should be eating like steak and potatoes and salad, but all you can handle is milk. You're like a spiritual baby. Now, it's awesome when we first come to the Lord to be spiritual infants. And if you're just getting started with Jesus, praise God for the beginning steps. But that's not who he's speaking to here. He's speaking to Christians that should be more mature than they are, that should be further along than they are. And if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, you know that feeling of like, man, I'm not where I feel like I need to be, right? He's speaking straight to them. He points out that they are no longer trying to understand God's word and God's ways. The root word here when he speaks about this is what a sick animal they would use to describe a limb that had gone numb. It was like they were spiritually numb. We saw a few weeks ago that hard circumstances can lead to hard hearts. Here we see that hard circumstances can lead to being hard of hearing, right? They were, they were numb in their hearing. I think we can relate to that feeling of being spiritually numb at times where it's just like, I just, I'm not taking it in. He said they ought to be teachers, but they've regressed to needing help with the ABCs of faith again. They were like babies who needed milk and not meat. This is where they had drifted in the pressure. This is where they had drifted in their trials and temptations. This is where the things they were facing had led them and the ways they responded had led them to drift and to regress. So rather than becoming resilient in trial and temptation, they had become resistant. Rather than becoming soft and tender to the Lord, they were hard in their hearts. They were numb. They were distracted. They were disillusioned and even apathetic. Now, this is contrasted with verse 14, where he begins to speak about a characteristic of those who are mature in the faith, mature followers of Jesus, those who are walking uh, closely with God. Verse 14, it said, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Focus in on that word, on that phrase, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So here he says that the mature, those who are mature in Christ, those who have the resilience in the midst of the trials and temptations, that they were ones who had trained themselves for that maturity. They had been training. And what's powerful to think about is so often, and even when I read this, my first thought is not to put the word training there, but I often think that growth in Christ, maturity in Christ comes through trying, not training. 
think, well, I'm gonna try and grow. I'm gonna try and be godly. I'm gonna try and do the right thing. I wanna do the right thing. And that eagerness of heart is so important, but that's not what he's referencing. He's not saying here, they've tried to do the right thing. You know, he said, they've been in training to do the right thing. And this trying versus training juxtaposition, I was thinking about it, and it reminded me of a story from my high school days. These were pre-Jesus days. So I'm gonna tell you a story. I'm not saying implement this, follow this. I'm just gonna let you in on a little bit of Zach pre-Jesus. In high school, played basketball, and one day our coach was very mad at us. That was somewhat of a frequent occurrence, but this day he was particularly upset because we weren't playing that hard in practice. We were goofing off. And so he said, everybody out to the track. And I knew what was coming. That meant we were going to run until the vein in his neck subsided and he got tired enough with us to go home. But that was going to be a while because he was hot. So the whole team, we go outside to the track behind the gym and like, oh man, this is going to be so painful. And I get an idea in my mind. I'm not saying this is a good idea, but you know how sometimes you just, I don't know, this seemed good to me at the moment. And I said to him, I said, I'll challenge you, coach, to one lap around the track. And if I beat you, we all go home. And if you beat me, then we'll run until you just are done with us. And he was really mad, right? And here's this 17-year-old punk like coming at him. So he's like, fine, I'll do that. I'll race you. So now I was like, oh, boy. I've just written a check that I sure need to cash because I have all my friends who are counting on me and I for sure don't want to race him, lose, and then need to run until he, you know, was, had worn us out sufficiently. So most tracks are a quarter of a mile. So four laps around equals one mile. We were a private school. We did things a little differently. I don't know why. Our track was a third of a mile. So longer. I've never seen a third of a mile track since then. I don't know why we did, but that's what we had. So we start out and the pressure is on. And so I'm like, I am not losing this race. I'm going to try my very best to beat him. Now, I've been working out all summer. I've been running various distances all summer. Like I was, I was, I was in shape, but I'd never run, sprinted a third of a mile in a row, let alone after practice with everyone watching. But I was like, I'm going to try and do this. We need to win. So breakout, <clears throat> beginning of the race, I'm feeling great and I'm leaving him in the dust. Like I look over my shoulder and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to be on ESPN. Like, this is amazing. Like, I'm going to be legendary at my school. Like, you know, kind of make it halfway around. I'm still feeling good. And I'm like, this is awesome. This is the best idea I've ever had. He's still far back there. Make it around the third turn. And all of a sudden, it was like I hit some form of invisible force field slash quicksand. Every bit of glucose or glycogen or whatever helps you to run was gone from my body. And it was like I turned into like a sloth, like right in that moment. And I was still trying, but my body said, we're, we're done with this, right? And so I'm like, oh, man, I still have a long way to go. I cannot lose. I'm going to try and just push. Through. And I was moving so slowly. Like so slowly. I think <laughs> uh, it's bad. I keep going though. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm moving forward. And I look back over my shoulder, and you guys know at this point, right, the coach has seen what's happening. So he's picking up speed on the back half. And so I see him getting closer to me and closer to me. 
and we're coming closer to the finish line, but I realize he's going to get me and I just don't have another gear. Like it, it, it's all gone. Like I've left it all out on the field and now I'm going to lose and then I'm going to have to run some more. So I'm like, oh, I got to try. I got to try. So then second idea that I don't recommend this. It seemed good to me in the moment. Again, yes. Uh, so he's about to pass me. The finish line is here. Now, I've always been a strong guy. So in that moment, what made sense to me was as he tried to pass me, I pushed him off the track into the other players. Of course, they didn't want him to win. And I made it to the finish line. Now, I won. You could put an asterisk by my victory, but, I, but I'm not. I won. We didn't have to run because at that point, we were both so exhausted that he was just like, I'm just done with y'all. And we both laid on the track for about 30 minutes because we had worn, his, worn ourselves out. I was trying, you know, to run the race, to have perseverance. I had every good intention. But we all know the difference if I had been training all summer to run that race. If I had been training for a third of a mile sprint with this prize on the line, I would have started in June. And I would have worked on that and worked on that and worked on that. I would have found someone who was good at track and field to give me a training plan. I might have gone to the university and asked them, hey, what do, what do the college athletes do? Like, I would have trained my heart out. And what would have happened? We would have gotten in the race, first turn running, second turn running, third turn. Probably would have felt a little tired. But I would have had those muscles built up through training. And I would have been able to finish the race, no asterisk needed, and then I could have gone on to be a legend in my own mind at my track ability. I think that story highlights well the difference between training and trying, trying and training. When we try, we have an intention to achieve. It might be an intention. I wanted to win that race. You might have an intention to be fit or to get your finances in order, or you want to have this in your career. You might have this in a relationship. Oh, I want to be this type of husband or this type of father or this type of spouse or this type of parent or this type of boyfriend, girlfriend, roommate, etc. cetera. We, we, we have intention and that's so important. But with trying, we have an intention to achieve, but we have impulsive effort. Right? You can always tell when we're trying. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to be in shape right now. I'm trying to work out. But what that means is I'll work out when I feel like it, when it's convenient to me. But the first day that I'm tired or I'm busy, I'm not, I'm not like consistent with it, right? I'm impulsive. And in that race, I was like, first thought in my mind is we're walking out there to the track. It's like, okay, I'm going to do this now, right? That defines trying. What does that lead to? Idealistic hoping. Well, I hope I can do this. I hope I can become a more mature Christian. I hope I can get better at work. I hope I can be a better parent. I hope I can do these things. But it's idealistic because it's not met with training, right? Training is different. Training, instead of just an intention to achieve, we develop a proven plan to achieve. In that illustration, I would have found someone who was good at track and field, specifically running that length, and I would have found their plan and I would have done it. We have a proven plan to achieve when we're training. It's met not with impulsive effort, but persistent effort. Everyone in here who has run some sort of endurance race can always tell when someone's in training because they're like, oh, yeah, it's Saturday morning. It's my day to run five miles or 10 miles or 15 miles. 
right? It, it doesn't matter how you feel in that moment. It doesn't matter if it's raining. It doesn't matter if you stayed up too late the night before. You're like, I'm in training. It moves beyond just what do I feel like to this persistent commitment that defines training. And instead of idealistic hoping, training brings predictable results. You know that if you follow the plan, you stick with it, there are results that are going to come. Now, this is a kingdom of God principle, meaning so many things in life operate off the difference between trying and training. But what I want to point out to you and something that I find most of us maybe have not considered is the concept of not just training for physical strength, but training for spiritual strength. Are we trying to walk with Jesus, stay faithful to him in the pressures of life, or are we training? And what this scripture teaches us is that it's through training that we stay consistent with him, that we build spiritual muscles so that when pressures come, when temptations come, when trials come, we have resilience to fall back on. That's what the author of Hebrews is telling his church. And I believe that's what God wants to speak to us today. And I want to speak with you a little bit about us. And are we trying or are we training? In fact, I believe this is a major key for us as we seek to become mature in Christ. Learning about training. Now, we are a charismatic church. I love the charismatic church. That means we believe in the power, the presence, the practice of the Holy Spirit. We believe in spiritual gifts. We believe in laying on of hands, sick, healed, blind eyes, open, all of it. We want to practice the gifts of the Spirit. And so every week, we're going to have, uh, most every week, we're going to have ministry time at the end of our service to pray for needs. I love those ministry times. My life has been changed in those ministry times. But one of the things that I find in the charismatic stream of the church is that we think and we can uh, just believe that that the only way that God moves in our life is through a charismatic experience. So there's some area in my life where I'm stuck, where I feel like, man, I should be further along or I've got this problem or that problem. And so we go to a ministry line or we go to Jesus hour or we do whatever the thing may be and we're looking for that prophetic word or we're looking for that one person to pray that magic prayer that that one prayer would be the thing that unlocks something for us. And sometimes that's how God moves. In the same way that sometimes God provides manna for his people in the Old Testament. That's one of the ways that he moves. And I don't want to do anything to discount that way. But what I've seen so often is that there are other things that God's wanting to do and other ways that he's wanting to lead us. And so the way this plays out is somebody has an issue in your life. You feel stuck. You come forward. You meet with a prophet. You sign up for the prayer time, whatever it may be. You, you get the word. You get the prayer. Then you go out and you're like, I'm right back where I was. I'm still stuck. God must not care about me. God must not be there. God, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is wanting to help you train. There's a whole other aspect, a whole other dimension to our faith. So what does this look like? Oh man, over the last 18 months, I have dealt with my fair share of mental battles, mental struggles, particularly around anxiety. Uh, if, if you don't know, uh, this time has been stressful for everyone. It has been very stressful for pastors, uh, navigating everything. I've never led through a pandemic before. 
Think about that. I've never been a pastor through a pandemic before. Uh, we had a significant amount of turmoil in our nation over the last 18 months. I had people looking to me for medical advice, political advice, all this stuff. I knew that whatever decision we made as a church, there were people that were going to be upset about it, whatever way we go. You might be upset right now, right? The, the way that we had operated in ministry was significantly altered. We had not been a, a doing live streaming or anything like that. I mean, we shot one week on our iPhone, like just so, so, so stressful. Internally as a family, we're dealing with school and kids being sent home from school, quarantined, or now they come home and now they're at home forever. And so we're trying to teach them how to, to, you know, to use their iPads or at home for the rest of the semester, navigating all that, three surgeries in our family, just lots and lots and lots. And we all, we all got COVID, lots and lots of stress. For me, that led to lots of anxiety, lots of worry, just lots. I couldn't get my mind to shut off. Anybody ever have problems getting your mind to turn off? Okay, I see a few hands, right? Anybody ever have mental problems where it's just like, I'm so anxious, I can't stop thinking about this, and it's like, you, you want, I want to be in a different place. I should be in a different place. I need the peace of Christ that passes understanding, and I've prayed that a hundred times, but I don't feel peace. Anybody relate? Right? So I was just like, oh my goodness, I, I, I might get emotional talking about it. Like, oh my goodness, this is just more than a person can bear. And I imagine you've been through that over the last 18 months yourself. <clears throat> and somewhere in there, I was like, I need something to couple with this prayer. I need, I need, I need to train. I gotta train my brain to think in a, in a different way. And so I began to look and to research about how to deal with all just the constant anxiety and bombardment and what if this goes wrong and that goes wrong and this person's mad and that person's mad, but we can only communicate via email because everybody's, all that stuff. Whew. And one of the things that I found was disciplined thankfulness shifts your brain. So I told you a few weeks ago last year about doing an encouragement challenge. I also gave myself a challenge last year to every day, write down things that I was thankful for. And what I found was, regardless of what was going on around me, because there was lots that wasn't going the way that I wanted it to go, when I would discipline myself to be thankful, when I would train, it forced my brain to focus on new things. And so instead of just spinning on what I couldn't control and the things that were making me anxious, it focused me to think about the positive things. It focused me to look for where God was at work. I made a rule that I couldn't write the same 10 things down every day. Like you had to mix it up. And so it really challenged me in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of feeling like, man, I should be further along. I should know how to do this. But not being there and feeling the numbness that comes from that, the discouragement that comes from that, the drifting that comes from that, the thankfulness was like training that I found built new muscles within me. And those new muscles then helped when pressure happened. It was like, it's not that it didn't affect me, but it was like I had a strength that I didn't have before. But it was when I coupled the intention, the trying, Lord, please move with the training that I found breakthrough. And what I want to bring to us today is I see you and I know church, you love Jesus. I know that you want to walk with him. I know that we want to be resilient. I know that we want to be 
faithful and honor God in our school. We want to honor God and walk with him in our work. We want to honor God and walk with him in our dating, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our families. I know these things. I know we want to be resilient. And life has thrown so much at you of late. I know that we're trying. And I know that this church that the author of Hebrews is writing to, they're trying. I mean, they're there. They've been persecuted. They've been in prison. They've lost stuff. Like they, They've got skin in the game, right? But what's he speaking to him? He said, hey, trying is not going to get us where we need to go. Trying, you run out of steam eventually. You give up eventually. You get disillusioned eventually with just trying. But what's he saying? He's saying maturity requires training. And I want to speak to us. I know that we are a trying church. But the question that I want to ask to you today is, are you a training church? I know that we're trying disciples, but are you training disciples? Are you disciples in training? I know that you want to have a good marriage. I know you're trying. Are you training? I know you want a vibrant walk with God. Are you trying or are you training? I know you want to follow him at work and be disciplined at work and focused at work, right? Are you trying or are you training? Are we trying or are we training? Now, as we lean into this, that phrase, trying or training, I want to point out something very, very, very important. In the second half of that phrase where he talks about training, he says that they are to be training themselves. It says, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And this is so important. There is a responsibility that you and I have not to train the person to the right, or person to the left of us, or person to the right of us, or in this moment to think about, man, if this person could just get this idea, that would really help them. But to say, am I training myself? Am I in training? So let's blip out of everyone else that we might be thinking about right now, and I want to ask the question to you, and I want to let it sit there. Are you training yourself for godliness? for spiritual strength in the face of resilience. With that, make sure you don't miss this. This idea of us training is only part of the picture because the amazing thing about the way of Jesus is that we are not on our own in our training, but that Jesus wants to train us as well, that there would be a partnership. Think about going to the gym. You can go to the gym by yourself, not know what you're doing, and you're trying to train, right? You think, I'm training myself. Maybe that'll work, but if you have a trainer who meets you there, and you have to show up, but they've shown up, right, then you have something that's going to lead to progress. And I want to make sure that you see that Jesus uh, trains us. Titus 2, 11, what we see is the grace of God appearing. That is Jesus showing up, the incarnation that Christ has come. And he's come bringing salvation for all people. So through Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, you and I, as we follow him, are saved from the power of sin. But then look at verse 12. That same grace, Jesus, who has appeared and brings salvation, he trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting 
for our blessed hope, the appearing of our glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jesus comes and he saves us from the power of sin, right? But he's training us by his grace from the practice of sin. Grace is at work to bring us to faith. We're not working or trying or training to somehow earn spiritual favor with God. No, we, the Bible says we're working out our salvation, not for our salvation. Our training is the fruit of the salvation that Jesus has brought in our lives. And now he, by his grace, who saved us, he, by his grace, is calling us into training. And he's not saying you got to figure this out on your own. You got to do this on your own. He says, hey, 5 a.m., meet me at the gym. Meet me at the spiritual gym. I want to help you train. And I'm going to guide you, right? And then we see in here our blessed hope that he's going to save us even from the presence of sin when he returns, right? The grace of God in all three tenses of salvation. But I want to make sure that you see that grace, God's grace wants to work in our lives through training us to help us mature from the practice of sin. Woo! Now, as a church, we have a training plan. Most recently, I outlined it in Come Grow Here, and if you're planted, you're probably familiar with it, but are we training with it? I want to stay there for just a minute. Do you know that gyms try and oversell their memberships? Like They try and oversell the amount of people that can actually work there because they know, statistically, that 60% of people who have a gym membership don't show up. They're happy knowing that it's there. They're happy with a feel-good of, I got a gym membership. Right, but they don't show up. I don't want us to be those type of Christians. That like we might know the plan. Oh, this is kind of what our church does. No, no, no. I want us to train together with the plan. Right? I want us to be training disciples, not trying disciples. So let's go through this again, and I want to go through it with you, with the lens of, am I training with this? Because this is our church's training plan. We want to grow in Christ. That's so why when Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full, he says, come follow me. We want to follow him and grow into that abundant life. And as we follow him, right, he begins to train us like we've just seen. Our training plan is outlined in the phrase, we are sons and daughters who encounter Jesus, practice his ways, and build his kingdom in our city, nation, and nations of the earth. If you've been with us, you know this phrase. I want to repeat it to you because I want us to live it out. I want us to train with it. I want us to take the plan and let the Holy Spirit work in us to help us have resilience and to help us be mature in Christ, to experience all that he has for us. So let's break down what does it mean to be a son or daughter. Sons and daughters, we believe that relationships are the soil of life. That where you plant yourself relationally, that's where you're going to grow. And when we talk about being a son or daughter, we're talking about planting our lives in relationship with Jesus, saying Jesus is Lord and I'm going to follow him and big and planting yourself with the people of God. You grow where you planted. We call this step sons and daughters because when we come to faith, we become a son or daughter of the king. But sons and daughters have family members and God calls his church his family. Our church is not defined by a building, a 9461 LBJ, or by a YouTube video, or whatever it may be. Our church is a spiritual family. And so the first step in our growth plan, our training plan, is, okay, have I planted my roots in Jesus? Have I said, Jesus is Lord, and I'm going to follow him? And have I planted myself with his people? 
Our action step for doing that is the class planted that Joe spoke about. Now, what muscle is this building in our life? What is this training us unto? This trains us that in a disorienting world, because I realize when you leave this place, there are so many forces pulling at you externally, internally. It can make us feel so twisted and turned around in a disorienting world that is built on the story of me making myself the center of my life, that we're a one player video game and I am the one player that matters. That's what we're being force fed, spoon fed every day. Sin is pulling at us to make us live that to make us believe that, but that's a crushing way to do life. It's a withering way to do life, but that's the the current that we drift in every day through the power of sin. But when I make my choice to plant with Jesus and to plant with God's people, it actually trains me to see rightly that he is at the center of it all, not me, that he loves me, but I'm not the center. When I realize that Jesus is at the center, Oh, life begins to flow because that's the way it's rightly ordered. And when I plant myself with the people of God, it reminds me that my story is not all about me and me being great. No, no, no. My story is rooted and connected with the people of God that I locate my story intentionally, my life intentionally, not just as me, mine and mine, but with the people of God, right? Oh, life begins to flow. When we do that, we're training. So if you've not been through planted, if you've not made Jesus Lord and jumped in the church, I want to challenge you to take that training step, that next planted class to say, okay, I'm training. I want to grow. I want to be mature. I want to follow Jesus. We're sons and daughters who encounter Jesus. The presence of God is the water source that brings forth life and fruit in our lives. And it's through encountering Jesus together as a church and in our daily lives where we experience his presence. So growth step, worship regularly with us on Sundays. Why? Because when we come here, we're not coming here. We say, well, I was in town that weekend. Oh, I felt like it. I don't know. I like that worship song. No, no, no. We're coming and training. When you show up, we're training together. What, What are we training? Training. As we gather on the first day of the week, it starts our week with God. And as we do that, we're building spiritual muscles to say, I start with God. I start life with God. When trials and temptations come our way, when pressures come our way, when disruption comes our way, we've got a muscle that says, this is my starting point. My starting point is not looking with them. My starting point is looking at him. We're training ourselves. We're not coming because it's convenient or when I happen to be in town or I feel like it, but because we're training ourselves to practically start our week worshiping God listening to him alongside his people. This spirit's spiritual muscles so that when trials and temptations come, my training and your training has prepared us. We start making this habit. We practice his ways. As a trellis helps plants grow strong and healthy, we develop habits to practice the way of Jesus by creating rhythms that help our roots go deep and our lives grow strong. We grow in a life group, we go on a serve team, we give to the mission, and we gather friends and family to join us. All of these things train us. They train us to be people of love in life group. You have to take the idea, Jesus said, love your neighbor, and say, okay, we're going to practice that this week in your life group with imperfect people, and you're imperfect, and you're going to practice this because it's going to build the muscle of love, build maturity in your life. 
We're going to serve on teams because it means that you're going to practice using the gifts that God gave you to bless people and honor him. So we put our gifts into practice on serve teams. It reminds me every week, I'm not here just about me, but a disciple is here to serve. And it builds that mindset. We're not just showing up to do this. We're trading. We give to the mission because it reminds me, I want to steward my finances in a way that honors God. We gather other people. I want to live my life as a light, live my life as a light. We're training to be able to do that. So if you've been through planting, you say, I'm coming on Sunday. I want to ask you, are you training by engaging in these things? And if you've been engaging in them, are you going through the motions? Are you saying, no, 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 this is my training. I'm in training to go in Christ. I'm not just trying to grow in Christ. I'm not just trying to walk with Jesus. I'm training to walk with him, right? Big, big difference. And lastly, we build his kingdom. The strong and healthy trees display the splendor of God and are callous for renewal and restoration of the world around them. We want our lives to be to live in such a way that we display God's splendor in the way we live, love, and lead. In our Antioch Discipleship School, and then we're an oak together are the ways that we do that. But it's all training to help us grow. As I close, I want to lovingly challenge you and call you up into training this morning. We don't train because we feel like it or it's convenient or it just made sense in the moment. But this is a deep commitment to the way in which God builds his people. And our growth pathway, our discipleship pathway is all about training and building habits that put you in relationships and experiences to help you grow in Christ and develop spiritual strength. Guys, coming back to the heart of it, Jesus doesn't just want us to try. He wants to lead us to train. And as we train, if you're stuck today in an area, how are you training? You feel like, man, I just, I feel like I should be further along. You can't try this in too many things, but, but how are you training? How is Jesus leading you to train? And we want to partner together for that breakthrough. I want to invite you to stand. I can get the uh, staff, overseers, prayer and prophetic team to come forward. The worship team is going to lead us in response. And as I said, we are a charismatic church. We believe in the power of the spirit, the power of prayer. And it's such an important part of maturity. So please don't walk away from here saying, oh, it's only go and do stuff. No, no, no. This time right now, as we respond to the word of God, God does stuff in our hearts. That thing that he does in our hearts through prayer through receiving ministry, needs to be coupled with training for our ongoing growth. We can't miss out on this part. So I wanna invite you to close your eyes with me. Our prayer and prophetic team is gonna be available. We'd love to minister to you. The worship team is gonna lead us in song. And the idea here is that we would take the words that God has spoken to us this morning and that we would take them back to the Lord. We'd talk to him about them. We wouldn't just let this pass on, pass over our heads, be like, oh, okay, whatever. No, God is speaking to us through his word today, and we want to respond. If you're here today and you're stuck and you know it, you feel like you should be further along than you are, I want to invite you to come forward and to receive prayer. If there's an area in your life like I was describing where it's just like, I just can't get over this. And I want to invite you to come forward and receive prayer. And we want to pray with you and we want to walk with you and help you break through in those areas. Jesus, thank you that you save us by your grace and you have a plan to grow us, Lord. 
that you train us by grace, that we don't just have to live in the futility of trying, Lord, but we can live in the grace of training. And that as we train, you build spiritual muscles within us, Lord. You make us strong in you. You make us mature in you. You develop resilience in our lives through training and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for us, God, that we wouldn't just be people who try, disciples who try to follow you, but that we would be disciples who train, Lord. That the grace of God would be effective and powerful in our lives, Lord. We'd work out our salvation with fear and trembling, Lord. That you, who began a good work in us, would bring it to completion, Lord, as we give ourselves to the training process. We love you, Jesus. Would you come and would you move in this room in this time? As the worship team leads us, I want to invite you to respond.